Let's begin our sermon this morning with prayer. We pray, dear Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We ask you to work through your word this morning to strengthen each one of us, to encourage us in our faith, and to equip us for Christian living. Bless us as we meditate on your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, if you would like to have a headache, uh, try to wrap your mind around the concept of the Trinity. How is it possible? How is it possible that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all separate persons, and yet each of them at the same time is fully and completely God? How is it possible that one plus one plus one equals one? If you ever find a way to logically understand this, I would love for you to please explain it to me. Why do you have my email, my phone number, come find me at my house. I would love to understand how the Trinity works and how God exists like this. But as it currently stands, I don't understand it. The concept of the Trinity is something that blows my mind. But it makes me feel a little bit better when I recognize that it's blown a lot of people's minds over the years. Uh, much smarter minds than mine. In fact, I don't know that anyone can say they've ever totally understood this. The concept of the Trinity stands above and beyond our human understanding. Side note, I'm pretty sure that's a good thing. Because if you think about it, as human beings, we have major problems. I mean, if we're just being honest, we have some major problems. We have problems like sin and guilt and death coming eventually. And every human being has these problems. And we have not been able to get rid of these problems with our human understanding. And so if God is small enough for us to understand, then he's too small to solve our big problems. We need a big God. We need a God who blows our minds. We need a God who is above and beyond our understanding because that's the only type of God who would actually have the power to save us. So we're framing our discussion here for this special Sunday morning that we're calling Trinity Sunday. And the idea is this. We are not going to spend the next 20 minutes painfully trying to understand how the Trinity is, because then by the end of it, we'll all just have a headache together. Instead, we are going to spend the next 20 minutes reviewing what the Trinity does. And my prayer is that by doing this, we will be tremendously uplifted and refreshed in our faith. All right, so let's start at the beginning. And... How much of a beginning should we start at? Well, let's go all the way back to the very beginning, the creation of the world. The very first verse of the Bible tells us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then as we go throughout Scripture, we quickly realize that all the different persons of the Trinity were involved in this creation. God the Father was there. We know this from 1 Corinthians 8, where it talks about God the Father through whom all things came. God the Son was there. We know this from John chapter 1, where it talks about Jesus, and it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And also, at the beginning of the world, the Holy Spirit was there. We know this from the second verse of the Bible. It tells us as soon as God created the dark watery mush ball that would eventually become planet Earth, 
uh, God's Holy Spirit was already there hovering over the waters. So, all three persons of God were present at creation. And it is amazing to see what they did. In just six days, they turned a dark, watery whoosh ball into a place of warmth and light. A place with dry ground to stand on and clean air to breathe. A place where plants could grow and animals could live, but really a place which was perfectly designed for a human habitation. And sure enough, what does our triune God say at the end of the chapter? God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. How about that? A singular God referring to himself as an us, as a we, as a plural. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all making up one God. And what is that singular yet plural three-in-one God doing at the end of his creation? He's creating mankind in his own image. People were made in the image of the triune God. So what does that mean? Does it mean there's three of you and one of you? No, that only applies to God. So what does it mean that we have God's image? Try this on for size. The Bible describes God as being perfectly loving. Right? It says God is love. The Bible also defines love for us. And it defines it that love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling or an emotion. Love is an action. Love is an attitude. And it is an attitude and an action of selflessly putting other people's needs ahead of your own. Right? This is love. Biblical love. Laying down what you want for the sake of what somebody else wants. Laying down your life, if necessary, for somebody else's life. And this is how God has always been, as the perfect being of love. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit perfectly selfless, perfectly from eternity, willing to lay down their needs for the good of one another. This is how God is. And so when God made people, they turned out to be the exact same way. Selfless, other-focused, ready to lay down their needs at the drop of a hat for the needs of somebody else. So, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, uh, but it's fun to imagine what would it be like if we could go back and see Adam and Eve. Have you ever wondered about this? What did Adam and Eve look like? What color was their hair? What color were their eyes? How old did they appear to be if they're created in perfection? I don't think they were babies. They're some age of adult. What's the perfect age? What's the, what's the look that Adam and Eve had? What kind of physique did they have? How would we react if we saw a person who had been made in the image of God? I'm sure Adam and Eve looked pretty impressive. They certainly looked better than you and me. But it's important to note that their real perfection was on the inside. How would we react if we met a person who was perfectly selfless? How would you react if you met a person who, from the very instant you met them, they were ready to lay down all of their needs for any need of your own? How would you feel if you met a person and from the instant that they met you, they would be happy to lay down their life and die for you? How would we feel if we met a person that selfless and that loving? I wonder if maybe we would feel ashamed. Because this is not our world. This is not our way of thinking. 
We live in the time after the fall into sin, when things are now very different. We live in a time when the image of God has been flipped upon its head in our corrupted, sinful hearts. So that instead of doing instinctively what's good for others, we do instinctively what's good for ourselves. Instead of sacrificing what we want so that others can be fulfilled, we will sacrifice others so that we can be fulfilled. And if we don't think that this is true, all we have to do is look around. And we can see it in the wars between nations and the brokenness and dividedness of our own society and in the natural selfishness of our own hearts. We want to do the things that make us comfortable even if they hurt other people. We want to do the things that we enjoy even if God says that they're wrong. How far today's human beings have fallen from the image of God. And yet, this fall into sin, from our perspective, this is really where the story of the triune God just begins as far as it impacts us. Because you think about this, God's greatest miracle is not just that he created the world and made human beings in his image. God's greatest miracle of all is that he was able to come into his creation after the fall, after it was so deeply and completely broken, and he was able to find a way to fix it and heal it and restore it and restore us. And we see all three persons of the Trinity involved in that restoration. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God the Son so loved the world that he came into it. And he so loved us that he took our sin on himself and went to the cross and died for us. God the Holy Spirit so loved the world that he inspired dozens of prophets and apostles and evangelists to write in advance about the promised Savior. And then to chronicle the results of what Jesus did after he came, so that the message of the gospel could be passed down through the years to us today. All three persons of the Trinity involved in the plan of your salvation. Now, can we talk about the Holy Spirit for just a minute? I don't know if you guys talked about the Holy Spirit last week on Pentecost Sunday. I think you maybe did. But God the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the shy member of the Trinity, and this is for a reason. We naturally think of God as a father. He's strong. He's in charge. He's the big man upstairs, protector, provider. And it goes against our grain, but we eventually can understand God the Son and what he did. And the concept that he took our sin on himself, went and took our punishment, and then he gave his perfect life to us so that we could experience his reward. We get this, the great exchange from God's Son. But what we don't instinctively realize is that without the working of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't know anything about this beautiful story. Living 2,000 years after Jesus as we do. Without the working of the Holy Spirit, we would be looking at our world, gazing into the sky, gaining an understanding that there's probably a God out there. We'd be looking at our own hearts, We'd be feeling guilt, gaining an understanding that maybe we're not quite where we should be. And so we would be concluding that if God is going to do anything good for us, we had better figure out how to do something good for him. We better offer some incense. We better figure out some kind of a sacrifice. We're going to live our whole life fearfully wondering if God loves us. But thanks to the Holy Spirit, we're not left wondering if God loves us. 
Because as the Holy Spirit inspired people to write the Bible, he inspired them to speak with absolute clarity and to say things like this. God does not desire the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Or like this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or words like this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And God's Holy Spirit tells us about it. That here we have this Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who've existed eternally in perfect love. And where does God take that perfect love and focus it? Well, he focuses it on you and on me. On us who have sinned against him. On us who sin against each other every day. We who no longer bear God's image, but instead bear the image of selfishness. The perfect, eternally loving God looks at us and he recognizes we are the best opportunity he's ever going to have to show truly undeserved love. And so, he does. And just like everything he does, the triune God does it as a perfect team. You think again through the plan of salvation. You've got God the Father calling the shots from heaven. You've got God the Son coming into the world, living a perfect life in our place, dying on the cross for our sins. You've got God the Father observing the price that was paid, accepting the price, and proving that by raising Jesus from the dead on Easter. You've got God the Son going back to heaven to be with his Father, but not before promising that they both will send the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. You've got God's Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost so that the disciples were no longer afraid, but they were excited to share the gospel message with thousands of new people. All of these things, this perfect teamwork of salvation, our triune God has done for his church at large, for his church in general. But what's most important to remember is that this is also something he has done for you as an individual. God's plan of salvation was for you. The perfect life Jesus lived on earth was for you. The death that Jesus died on the cross was for you. God sent his Holy Spirit to build faith in you. And through the waters of baptism, God adopted you as his own dear child who gets to be with him forever. And so the words of our sermon text are not just written for Christians in general or Christians at large. The words of our sermon text are written for you. You could put your own name in these verses. Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom you have gained access by faith into this grace in which you now stand. If you ever feel guilty for your sins, if you ever wonder how God feels about you, if you ever are scared of what might be going to happen to you when you die, these verses provide the relief that you are looking for. You have been justified. God has already declared you to be not guilty through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. When God looks at you, he looks at you not with anger, 
but with love. You have gained access into grace in which you now stand. This is a very important verse for our understanding of grace, that God's grace for us is a status that we have. God's grace for you is a status. It's not something that comes and goes depending on your behavior. Even as a child of God, when you trip into sin and you fall, you land in grace. And God picks you up and he helps you to walk again. And with this kind of a rock-solid relationship with God, you know where you're going. You can boast in the hope of the glory of God. You can look forward to the eternal life that God has prepared for perfect people. And he's made you perfect. And he says you're going there. And looking forward to heaven, then you also are prepared for anything that could come up during your life in this world. Not only so, but you can also glory in your sufferings. Because you know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put you to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. Do you realize what has happened? God's love has been poured out to you. God's Holy Spirit has been put inside of you. In other words, the image of God is being restored in you and in others, one person at a time, all around the world. And it doesn't happen all at once. And it doesn't happen perfectly. As Christians now being restored to the image of God, we forget who we are and we slip and stumble into sin and we fall and land in grace and God sets us back up and helps us to walk again. But this is what God is doing. And he is already doing it inside of you. He is restoring his image, the image of selflessness, of thinking of others, of being willing to sacrifice your needs for the needs of somebody else. That perfect love that God has had within himself from all eternity, he now has poured into you and established in your heart. So, I would encourage you this Trinity Sunday not to try to understand everything about how God exists as a Trinity because it's going to give you a headache, but to appreciate the things that our triune God has done. You and I were born in the image of sin, headed away from God, and he came into our world, and he got us. And he came into our life, and he built faith in us. And he came into our story, and he gave it a new ending, which really is not an ending, because our story lasts forever and ever in heaven. There's a word that I was researching this week. It's a word that I think has lost its meaning in modern culture today. The word is masterpiece. You know what a masterpiece is? We're so prone to exaggeration now. We use words like awesome or epic or amazing to describe like a really good hot dog. Like, right? Um, vocabulary doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so we use masterpiece for anything that's even moderately okay. But really, at its core, what this word masterpiece means, it comes out of the world of classical art. And it doesn't just mean a piece of art that's really, really good, but it means the defining work of an artist's career. I read online that a masterpiece involves outstanding creativity, skill, profundity, or workmanship. A masterpiece is the most impressive thing that someone has ever done. I want to close this morning with this thought. What is God's masterpiece? 
What is the most impressive thing he's ever done? What's the most impressive thing he's ever created? It's not the world in its original state. God's masterpiece is you. And not the flawed, sinful you and me that we were born with, but the new you that's in your heart right now. This is God's masterpiece. Think about this. God came to us to people who were hostile towards him, totally selfish, turned in upon ourselves to the exclusion of helping others, and God poured into our hearts his perfect love and caused it to grow and caused it to bloom and is causing us to look at our world a whole different way and is causing us to reflect his image to the people around us. Brothers and sisters, this is an impossible thing to take a spiritually dead person and make them alive. But God has done it. He's done it in our hearts. You and I are God's perfect masterpiece through the waters of baptism, through faith in our Savior, through the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. You are God's perfect masterpiece. So the encouragement then on Trinity Sunday is, is to live up to it and to remember who you are, to remember who God has made you, to remember that you've been redeemed by this perfect selfless love of the Trinity and to reflect that selfless love to everyone you come across. May God grant that to us for Jesus' sake and through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Amen.